Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Talking Locks podcast with Lockitude. This is the Everyday People with Locks series and I'm your host, Adi Balogun. This episode is produced by Savage Media. In today's episode of Talking Locks with Lockitude, we'll be discussing with some brothers with locks. We are going to be joined by four brothers across two generations who have all had locks at some point in their lives. The Isaac brothers are Eritrean Americans. Though from the same room, they have very diverse personalities and bring to light their locked experience from a cultural, religious, millennial and Gen Z point of view. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, for our listeners, um, this episode is titled Brothers with Locks. I think I'm sending with Brothers with Locks. And I have Muse, Ben, Mo, and Alex with me. They are four brothers, and in a minute we'll get to know them. And, um, well, let's get into it. So, um, I was going to start with you, Alex, because the first shall be the last, and the last shall be the first. <laughs> So, um, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, um, I'm the youngest of four brothers. I'm 26 years old. Um, I'm a videographer. I do I edit videos and I shoot videos. And yeah, I used to have dreads. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know who's next. Oh, oh okay. All right. Yeah, we're going to get that out of this. I get that out yeah. Um, my name is uh, Juan, but you know everyone calls me Mo. Um, I am thirty-one years old, going on thirty-two Sunday. So shout out to you. Yay! Um, I am the third brother uh, of the Isaac clan. Um, second to last, uh, right above Alex. Um, I. I'm an HR, um, an HR specialist, and I do music on the side uh, and a little real estate here and there. Um, and yeah, I've had locks for about five, five, six years. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Ben, I guess you're up next. Okay. So, Ben Isaac, I am so excited to talk about this topic, which is locks, dreads, there's a lot of ways you can talk about what hair is, and hair in a way is everyone's most important situation, you know, it's how they style it, how they, how they, you know what I mean, how they move with it, me personally, I think that it's an important topic, I'm happy to be a part of it, I'm Thinking that we're going to talk about some amazing stuff, and I'm ready for that. Okay. I'm ready. I'm super ready for that. So Ben Isaac, part of the family. We all know each other. I had the luxury of hearing both my brothers talk before me, mm. and I can't imagine what my next brother's going to say. And every other brother in the world who <laughs> actually knows how to be a brother <laughs> can can respect that and understand that. So look, I'm here. Ben Isaac, excited. Super happy. Let's go. So, we'll see. 
Yeah, All right, so we saved the best for last time. Uh, <laughs> the oldest of the, of, of the Isaac brothers, uh, actually there's six of us total, so you know, our parents really handled their business. Uh, and I uh, initially imagined that I would do the same, but I don't think so, not at good times. Um, I am a epic consultant, that's what I do as far as a career right now, but I'm what you would call a jack of all trades, entrepreneur, artist, designer, carpenter, sculptor, whatever, you know, so I do a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here as well. We'll talk a little bit about my experience with dreads and uh, yeah, let's go. Okay, fantastic. It was nice to meet all of you. Um, ben, are you single? <laughs> Hold on, what did you say? Are you single? Am I single? Yeah. It depends on what single means. <laughs> However, I will say yes to that. Okay. okay. I feel All like right. everyone is single. I almost feel like I'm going to get a lot of phone calls after this podcast airs. So I will put it in context from the context from the beginning that Alex and Ben are potentially single, but <laughs> ladies, Musi and Mo are off the table. So sorry. <laughs> so not sorry. Um. Yeah, obviously, I have a very Nigerian accent, I believe. Obviously, someone told me it was kind of British the other day. I was feeling funky. But you guys have an American accent, but I know that you are Eritrean. And um, from meeting you guys, I do know that your Eritrean culture is very strong. Mm. I know that you guys have this American accent, but you can speak your local language. And there's a bond and brotherhood with that. So before we go into, like, what got you to get your hair locked in the first place? Can we learn a little bit about Eritrea? Because it's one of the African countries you don't really hear anything about. Right. You know, so what is what what does it mean to even be Eritrean? Who wants to go? Well that's interesting because actually we are in our thirtieth year of our independence. The twenty fourth tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yep, it's coming <laughs> Sunday. We'll be celebrating our independence um, from a civil war that lasted for about thirty years. Uh, and that was between us and Ethiopia. And that's it's actually um, pretty deep because our parents were in the war, their parents were in the war. So we're like literally first generation removed. So we can say we were, you know, that connected to actual real life heroes and uh, people who sacrificed themselves, their lives, their livelihood, and everything else just so we can be able to call ourselves Eritrean. So, with that being said, um, yeah, being Eritrean means a lot, especially for the first generation. And experiencing that, being first generation, uh, you got to imagine the clash between the two cultures, the American cultures and the Eritrean culture. So when we talk about this uh, topic of locks and hair, uh, we're very ingrained in our culture and in our religion. So there are like three main laws that we all kind of abide uh, by, right? Because the cultural laws kind of like societal norms. There's the law of the land, which is like law of government. And then there's the law of religion. So very religious people. And Eritrea is probably both 50-50 mainly between uh, Muslims and, and Christians. But either way, however you look at it, how you present your hair is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So because of that, all have grown through a lot of situations uh, and i can be the one that's asking everyone here can attest what it's like to have hair 
and to be able to represent it the way you represent it based on your influences, not only of the Eritrean culture, but also the American culture. And when you have those two meet, you're going to get a lot of friction. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's pretty interesting. Okay, this, 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 this is already going exactly where we wanted to go. I'm happy about where the conversation is going because I think there's a lot to gain from it. I think you guys are like four different individuals that we would get to meet in, in the course of the interview. And we would also be learning not just about why you decided to lock your hair for yourself and how it's affected your life as Americans, as in, individuals and all of that. So, um... Wow, I still have so many choices. I don't even know who to point at. So more, choices. maybe more. Let, let's let's talk about your hair. How you said you had locks for about six years. Yeah, six years. And um, why did you choose to get locked in the first place? Um, <clears throat> so interestingly about me, <clears throat> excuse me, I had locks um, in high school. Uh, I had cut them then. Um, I regrew them, cut them then. Uh, regrew them again in college, cut it again. Um, Why'd you cut them so many times? So, compulsive dreadlocker. That's what it is. Yeah, compulsive so, dreadlocker. So, the first time I actually grew it out, um, it was the I want to be like my older brother kind of thing. Um, you watch somebody that you, you know, that's influenced you your entire life, and you're like, hey, I want to do that too. Um, but then I cut it um, because I got into a little bit of trouble um, and I had to face a judge, of course. Uh, it was nothing serious. It was a traffic violation, but um, I don't want to incriminate myself. So. <laughs> well, you, you, okay, the thing is you didn't want your head to make an impression on you. An the impression judge. on me, uh, exactly, because I, knew, I already knew what what, what, it, what it was going to be. What uh, happened to represent? Yeah, uh, yeah, as soon as I faced the judge... Sitting and what, what year was this? This was, what year was this? This was 2007. I cut my hair, yeah. Okay. 2007, I cut my hair. How long had you had it then? Uh, I think I started growing it out my sophomore year. So that was two years prior to, so 2005. So I had it for about two years. Okay. And then um, I cut them because uh, I had to face a judge. And then... I grew them back out. Um, second time, I can't quite recall why I cut it. I might have done it for a girl. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't okay. like you with dreads? Um, it's, it's not that she didn't like me with dreads. Um, she preferred me without them. Uh, that's how she put it, at least. So <laughs> she didn't like me with dreads. That's what it was. Okay. <clears throat> and then the third time I went to college, I was living in Florida. Uh, I grew them back out, um, but I grew them out for a very short period of time, cut them off real quick. Um, let's see, I know this is my fifth time I cut it, so that was three times. The fourth time, I can't really recall <laughs> why I cut it, but then the final time was um, it was to please my mom and uh, my mother and my mother-in-law, soon-to-be mother-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, for my son's baptism. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so another impression in front of the priest and right. oh. that whole thing. And because of the social to... stigma that dreads have. Yeah. Especially okay. within our culture. Yeah. Anything outside of short hair in our culture doesn't matter. Uh, if it's braids, if it's twists, locks. If a man grows his hair out, that's considered 
I don't want to say shameful, but it's frowned upon. Yeah, irresponsible. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because there are photos of you know like ancestors and yeah, back, back in our culture of you know cornrows and men doing men hair, hair. hair. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's yes. Yeah, I, I don't know, I, but I think it's because what America, America yeah. represents uh, or when it comes to. Um, or at least what it portrays the culture, mm-hmm. the culture yes. of having locks or even cornrows or any type of long hair our parents feared what you know which would they they rightfully had every you know yeah. reason to do so but um yeah it came with that stigma so they didn't they didn't being honest yeah. okay so ben i know that like uh Musi had mentioned to me earlier that he may have been the first person in the family to start Tell his vlogs. <laughs> who started first? So, is it you or was it Musi who was the first person who started? I understand what you're asking me, but I, don't, I think that's beyond the point. So, it's beyond the point. It's beyond the point. I have no problem. We can get into the details of all that, but what matters is dread is dread, right? So, who had dread? Like, I mean, shit, I had dread happening before I got dread. So, so dreads to me is a correlation between me. <laughs> I had dread before I got dreads. So, no, on that. He went philosophical with us. Okay. Okay, okay, that's, for that's a second fair issue. enough. But I, I was trying to get who the first person was for a particular reason because I can imagine, like, showing up at home and having to face your mom. And okay, so I can answer that, right? Okay, was it you who who we'll, first? We'll start, we'll no, start. no, 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 no. Let me intervene now. Okay. Before okay. Now says, now he wants to get that word. Uh, all right, all right. As you, as you, as you host, so so smart and strategic. <laughs> Look, Moose had the hair issue for a long time, way before everybody. Mm. It matter if dreads, hair, or it was cornrows, or whatever hair was. Mm-hmm. It was always an issue. Because culturally, women should have long hair and cornrows, and, and you know, it was a, so, so for the culture was like, all right, don't do that. Not just culture, just religion. And, and religion is a funny word, but just, just culture and what people believe in, what our parents believe in, and which, which is still very alive and well today, which is what other youths go through, you know what I mean, what other parents deal with, with their youths, when, and I don't know if you have, all of us have plan to have children, we're going to have the same conversations that come up, mm-hmm. and then you have to be able to like patiently discern how to approach a son or a daughter who are in a some sort of rebellious state, so <laughs> so, 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 so look at, look at it from, from the bottom up we have, as young ones, we're figuring things out. We're going to be 17, 13, 11, 12. We get so bombarded by rules and regulations that do pertain to who we are and what we have to go through, but it's, there's a disconnect when you come from a third world country or your, your first generation son or daughter, and you have to be a part of a culture that you wouldn't ordinarily be a part of because you, you're growing up. Like, I used to be able to speak my mother's language very fluently, my, my mother tongue, like, easily. It was easy for me to do that. But I had to go to kindergarten. I had to go to school. I, I had to learn how to connect the dots 
mm-hmm. as my parents, as my parents were at work twenty four hours, basically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have to be able to connect the dots and portray that. All right, maybe this is why you don't want me to do this, but you can't possibly explain that to me because you're so busy. Because you have to go to work, you have to do this, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. So it was a culture clash. It was a it was like a culture clash, and then. A lot of the relatives you have, if you have siblings, you have people before you that can go through certain battles that you don't have to go through individually. It's a blessing. So Moose himself had to go through certain tribulations that he couldn't explain to us as younger generation sons because he was he probably walked the desert. His feet probably felt how it feels to walk in Sudan, and he, <laughs> you know what I mean, like certain aspects of the culture that. When he made it to America through the glory of God and what our parents did and what they went through, he had to take on a lot of the force of the blow mm-hmm. and the burden that a lot of us wouldn't necessarily ordinarily go through. So 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 put that into perspective with the fact that just just yeah. one topic being hair or growing your hair out was a form of trying to express yourself and figure things out that's right? true that's that's absolutely true and and i personally did not see moose go through it i seen ben go through yeah it. me as well yeah okay and, uh, and he's seen yeah it, it makes know? sense though the way we grew up right so initially when we came to this country it was just me my older sister and my younger sister so we kind of gotten naturally grouped up as far as like, all right, y'all the oldest, y'all the responsible ones. And we had to deal with a lot of this sort of helping to rear the younger children. Um, and then at that point, Ben was conceived here, yeah. but he no, was introduced back to Dan. Conceived there, but born here. Exactly. Vice versa. However you want to put it. So he was in the belly when we came here. Do you know what I mean? So as they were growing up, they were kind he of was, close. He was kind of like our green, our you're, green, you're, the bottom three. Right. He was oh, like okay. our, mm-hmm. yeah, right. you know, he kind of ran, and and that's why Alex and I, we we seen Ben they, go through that right because at process. that point I was already gone. Yeah. When they got up <laughs> age where they were ready to challenge our parents, I was yeah. already in college, right. so it was almost like they had to deal with that. Right. Yeah. So I gotta say I, I had it probably the easiest because they, oh, all, yeah. they all went through. But I was gonna ask like why? Expected why? that I was gonna end up getting dreads probably yeah. so. Because okay. the three of us had already gotten it. Yeah, I couldn't really say nothing. What are they going to say now? Okay. So for me, it was more so, okay, you just have to wait until you're a little bit older. Kind of. you so she really didn't have to, but... I, did, I didn't have really have... He uh, could have made an interest to get until I was around maybe in like high school, like my sophomore, uh, 11th grade year. So mm-hmm. that's when I decided. Before that, most of us, we had like afros and we used to, we used to grow oh, our hair. Goodness. Mm-hmm. We said grow just to grow up because we couldn't do anything with it. We had long, we wanted to have long yeah. hair, but it was just like because we grow quick, you know, mm-hmm. relatively quick. Um, but as soon as you did something with it, oh my goodness! If I could tell you the stories, <laughs> <laughs> like the nights where you would, I would get my hair done in the morning. My sister would braid my hair in the morning, right before school. Go to school, I would take it out before I came home. That's how serious the guys said. That's dedication. <laughs> That's what he went through. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I like to feel you had it the easiest. By the yeah, time you were getting it, it was it was fine. Yeah. So why did you choose to cut your hair? Um, okay, so when I cut my hair, I was in college. And, um, I was just kind of at a point where I just felt like I needed 
something needed, change. Yeah, needed, needed a change. Like, really kind of stressful. Just going through a time where I just felt like I needed to be a new person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I decided to cut my hair. Kind of like a clean slate type of yeah. deal. Okay, so I've heard a few things like there was some sort of rebellion, there's sort of um, a question of what you're being told to do and what you know is historically African, like mm-hmm. every African culture actually, men have always had hair and right. then we've been influenced by Western culture yeah. and all of a sudden it's frowned upon to have hair. But which there's also a part of locks that is associated very much with like spirituality. So for any anybody can answer at this point. I'm not gonna even pick. Okay. <laughs> but like, did, did you ever feel like there was a, any connection with you growing your hair to being connected to something or to being African or being? So I, I guess I can address that and and how can go first because initially, I mean, you asked. I don't know if Mo answered, but or Alex, why we started our locks. Mine's what my uh, personal experience with it was more on that spiritual side that you were talking about, or I wouldn't say more of a representation of a process that I was going through. And um, I was transitioning out. Um, I got several experiences, and these experiences kind of started to mold the way I perceive things. And um, for instance, let's say uh, in a relationship, and uh, I started to find myself sort of judging everyone the same based on this terrible relationship, uh, mainly um, women. So I had this idea in my head that all women are the same. So being a thinking man that I am, I'm like, well, come on, let's be real. You're saying every every woman is like this? That can't be true. So I found myself trying to reconfigure my sort of my my spiritual uh, ease, I guess. I was trying to ease myself spiritually. So I said I was going to go through a journey where I would abstain from everything and anything, right? And I wanted a physical representation of that. And initially I had uh, two strand twists in my hair and I told myself, I'm going to lock my hair, but I didn't want anybody to touch it, right? So it's gonna be a personal journey that I went through myself as I was meditating, as I was fasting, as I was sort of abstaining, both um, mentally, physically, and spiritually, from a lot of things. And at that point, um, once I started it, the two-strand twist, I sort of separated them, and then I told myself I was going to lock it. As a matter of fact, was it you that helped me? <laughs> I think that was, was me. Let's get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and this was on campus, right? On campus. I was in college, and you guys yeah. stopped by my um, apartment that I was running. It wasn't I stopped by. I didn't drive back there. <laughs> Did I pick you up? Man, I used to go to class with him. There were times I would go to class with him, and it was one of the, probably the best experiences of my life. I was watching this. Yeah, interesting. Crazy. Well, I don't get it. We're not in the same year. No. no. I was a 12-year-old attending college classes. College courses, just to just hanging out with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you happened to be with me when I decided to lock it. That's what it I, was. I, I was at UMBC pretty often. It was. Pretty often. I, I remember the gym. I remember seeing a, a light-skinned big, I don't know, y'all know him. Light-skinned dude. His daughter was Ayana. Oh, he's talking about Brian. He was yeah, one of I remember the meathead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I remember all of that, yeah. So, yeah. So at that point, I was locking it. and um, And then once I locked it, 
I decided that, you know, it was just going to be all me. And it was a good experience. Uh, after I went through my transition for about a year or two, and I got through whatever struggles I was going through, and I was able to reset mentally and spiritually, it then became just sort of like, okay, it's there. It looks nice. I kept getting a lot of compliments. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dang, do I want to cut it? Yeah, I was like, nah, I don't know if I want to cut it. So I was like, all right, I'll just keep it. And like five, six years later, Fabio, super long. Fabio, the down to my Fabio. back. I was sitting on my air at some point, and yeah. So it was a, it was a spiritual journey. Spiritual journey. And the mm-hmm. fact that I didn't let anybody else touch my hair, well, maybe with the exception of Emma, I think at that point when he helped me, which she's now reminded me, I honestly forgot all about that. You know, he just told me once, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Mo, you you were nodding when we were talking about a spiritual experience with your hair. So I actually had, you know, grow up my hair, of course, like five different times. So each time was kind of like something different. So like the first time, of course, was uh, I wanted to be like my older brother. Um, Second time was no real reason. Um, It wasn't till... It wasn't till my final... uh, the final time I grew my hair out that I associated it with a journey towards something. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, I I can't remember if it was a heartbreak or what it was. Usually that. <laughs> <laughs> but it also uh, pulled me closer towards, you know, um, the whole smoking, uh, marijuana, and kind of getting into deeper and harder into that um and and meditating and and literally like i told myself this would be a representation and when i'm ready to cut it this would be me letting go all that baggage go mm. and yeah. moving on to the next step so when my son was born um although i did my my mother-in-law my soon-to-be mother-in-law and my mom um it was for them but it also was for my son um and it's weird because once you get to that stage of being a parent uh my father used to always say this when you have your kids you'll understand where i'm coming from (laughs) and now everything that he's ever taught me uh my son shows me right and then it's like oh there goes that lesson i remember that and now I'm, I'm doing the same thing my father did <laughs> yeah and you know it's just passing passing along to my son so when i cut my hair uh it was kind of like okay you know he's seen me a few months of course i think it was about three uh a month and a half maybe of me having hair since he was born um and he loved him like he would play with them you know and try to reach for him and everything like that uh but once i cut him it kind of it was it was more freeing and you know, I was like, okay, so now my son will see me with, now he has the option, of course, I, I feel like once he gets older, he could have that option if he wants to, but uh, it, it was, it was, it was letting that baggage go, and knowing that because I'm not carrying it anymore, I won't, you know, project anything onto my son, because I made a deal with my hair, Mm-hmm. And in a spiritual way, and and of course, you know, talking to God throughout the entire process, um, trying to figure out whether it was the right thing to do or even right to have it or not, you know, and of course, you figure that out along the way. 
Um, I personally don't think there was an issue with it, of course. But, you know, now where I'm at now, I kind of feel more uh, in a mature state. And not to say that it was immature, but just letting that go yeah. allowed me to move to that next step. You're making your own decisions based on your own experiences, exactly. not based on... Because, I mean, I, and I can second that. There's a lot of cultural influences uh, on both sides, both Eritrean and, and American culture. And you see the way it's perceived. You know, I mean, so you in, inherently uh, absorb a lot of that negative outlook on that, even though you you yourself knew there was nothing wrong with it, but you kind of felt some kind of way. You're being judged everywhere yeah. you go. Yeah. You know, Chip on mean? your shoulder. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Alex, this one's going to be for you, being the youngest of the clan. Um, did fashion play a role in you having loved at all? Was it like oh, this? Definitely. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely like, especially in the DMV area, having dreads is kind of like the trend. Kind of okay. cool thing to do look cool like I mean all the girls liked it you know what I mean so mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely a fashion statement in a way yeah. okay I understand you guys are Christians right mm-hmm. but it almost sounds to me I just learned recently I've learned a lot of things from the Eritrean culture because you guys were some weeks ago you kind of said you were having Easter after Easter mm-hmm. so I was like uh, what's going on so you do still hold on to the Christian Eritrean faith. Yes. Right? Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so having looked as a man and being a Christian, how did that impact your religion? That was oh, ben, ben. Ben, ben, I think you can answer that. That's for you, apparently. Did you lose him? No. I'm, I'm wide awake. I'm listening very carefully. <laughs> no, no, it's not necessary. Yes to that. Of course, I'm thinking, but also. I think in certain aspects that needs to be addressed, right? So the culture and Christianity and, and what parents tell you should be the case. There's a disconnect when it comes to uh, accountability, right? Like our parents would do certain things and expect us to, to do, you know, like they would have long hair, afros, you know what I mean? Certain aspects of what they went through and then in their culture, which is my culture also, but which we can see there's a culture transition transitioning happening like it's all mixed up you know what I want to say it's like, a, it's like a big mixing pot where you have to take in to account where you can't just say oh because you're a Christian or whatever you are whatever you believe in it's more important to look at the foundation of what the core was and for me so fashion played a part of it you know what I mean school did being around friends and, 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 and family and cousins. And just, we all were young and we talked to each other about, oh, but what's, what's the new latest, this fashion, this style, dreads. Uh, Little Wayne popping off with dreads. You know what I mean? Like the culture of what dreads did for people, Bob Marley, all, these, all of these things you look at and you're trying to figure out, all right, it was, it was never religion or culture or, or, or me being just a Christian. So so there is aspects of what Christianity told you about hair and dreads. You know, Samson had dreads mm-hmm. and that was his that was his way of being powerful and that was his power was in his hair, according to what we know. So his weakness was he told his girlfriend about it and she's like, Alright, let me cut his dreads off and see <laughs> sure enough because God said it, it was the case. 
he lost his power because of his hair. So culture, spiritually, there is ways you can look into what hair means and what dreads, what dreads mean, right? And, and particularly locks. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a phrase, locks. So it's very difficult to try to explain and put all that together in ad fashion, in ad culture, and ad religion, make it seem like it's like a point blank regular thing that you can address. Like that's what it is. So, so let's look, let's go back to the contradictories of things, right? And here's where the contradictories, what may seem like contradictory. We all know what's right. We all know what's wrong. We learn from what we believe in, what we learn, what we go through, what we what we study, and what first and foremost, what we grew up in, our parents, our culture, our, li- our lineage. Whether it be Nigeria, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, Africa, and even America, Russia. It doesn't matter where you are. So as you see now, the culture has taken over to a point where everybody has dreads. Justin Bieber got dreads. Yeah. That was very controversial, though. Yeah, exactly, right? So so, so knowing that, like, how would I have... How, what if we asked him that question? He wouldn't know how to answer it because it's not, it doesn't have nothing to do with anymore what what the foundation of what it means is it becomes a fashion statement it becomes they're doing it so i'm gonna do it that person mm-hmm. did it so and a part of that happened with me when i was doing it it was for me it wasn't necessarily that i was thinking about why i shouldn't do it it goes back to trying to make a statement trying to just be who you are and think why you should do it right right so when you so when you say that, Mo, you're talking about why you should or why you shouldn't, right? So 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 who tells you you should or you shouldn't? So as you bring up Christianity, which is the foundation of what I stand for, but if I never had the proper explanation fully of what it stood for, I'm just as susceptible as the next person it has nothing to do with my culture or religion anymore. I'm sorry, I'm my religion and my faith is. It's more so what do my eyes what do I think is dope today? How can I stand out? How can I make it a point to just be relevant? Because a part of that is important too, being relevant and but you shouldn't that shouldn't be the reason, but as a young as a youth, as a young boy, me knowing that I know what I went through all of that, I know that, that was a fact. So so I was listening to my foundation my parents were saying it stuck with me because they, they brought me up that way and i and I, i'm grateful for that because now looking back reflecting it now i understand what they were saying however it doesn't take away from they were the same in the same position that i was figuring stuff out trying to figure out what was right what was wrong they were going through their fashion statements uh whether it was afros or you know what i mean whatever the culture was you know what I mean? Like whatever it was at the time, they were going through the same type of thing. So, so to me, collectively, we grow together and understand together how to deal with this, and we don't judge anybody. So, dreads is one thing, but you know, hair is one thing. But if we want to focus just on that, I look at it very broadly too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you guys are the eleventh episode on this um uh, on this series, which is actually called Everyday People with Locks. And I've talked to kids, I've talked to people from the perspective of aging, locked on the corporate world. And what is interesting, and the reason for me, the essence of this podcast is really trying to examine and 
understand where we're coming from and why there's so many negative connotations towards the hair. Like, you know, you said you cut your hair because you're going to appear before a judge. You cut your hair again because your mother and your mother-in-law-to-be they didn't necessarily agree with it, even though it was your decision in the end. Mm -hmm. And there's all the stories that we all personally can pull together. And I'm, I'm really happy because I think um, two episodes ago, we talked to someone from Kenya who I thought that East Africa, because when you do go to East Africa, you see more men with locks than in West Africa. So I just felt like, hey, it's their accepted culture. So it's interesting when I speak to East Africans, Americans, and the story is kind of consistent. Well, I think I have an idea why that is. Okay. Um, so I, I think one of them touched upon it earlier. Uh, our parents weren't really uh, against the hair. It's about what the hair represented based in the eyes of the Western world. Mm -hmm. And they were having to raise us in this Western world. Mm -hmm. and they didn't want us to be sort of lumped up with the stereotype of what it means to be black and fall, with dreads, and fall victim to judgment police whatever it may be and 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 i and it took me you know growing up and and and, and getting older to understand that uh before i thought they were just judging people mm -hmm. and dreads you know what i mean yeah and i want to actually they were more so running on fear touch on that like before when i started growing my hair i i didn't really maintain them mm -hmm. right and it was kind of just like that like I got yeah, them done once in a while, you know what mm -hmm. I mean. But it wasn't as often as I did when I got older and more, you know, conscious. Not just conscious. It was more of a professional world, and also, in my mind, it's like the cleaner they are, the more accepted they will the be. The more accepted, accepted they will be. But isn't the irony that mm -hmm. why should we as black people be in a position? I almost feel like we're the only race. I've said this probably countless times on the planet that wake up every day and have to think about how we wear our hair. Because when you see people of other races, their hair doesn't count. It's, it's so It's not the means of no, how you really judge deep. them. It's not, it's, it's, it goes from how we wear our hair to what clothes we have on to whether or not we should be able to wear a hoodie, like, you know, running outside. Like, all of these things we have to compensate for. And our parents knew that. So though, yes, they presented their, um, their uh, apprehension to us having hair, period, as though it was from a religious standpoint, from a cultural standpoint, I believe it was more so in fear because they're like, how can they navigate through this world? Right. How mm -hmm. can they navigate through this world and we already see what it means to be just black, period. I also, but then black with dreads. Is I also feel story. like um, culture and unity is feared mm. uh, by the Western world. Um, and when people band together, right, they're stronger. Um, mm. My father used to tell this tale uh, about mm. family, um, the sticks. a family that used to argue all the time. Uh, well, his kids, a uh, man whose kids used to argue all the time. And he always used to tell the story whenever we get to arguing. <clears throat> so man told his kids, each one of you go grab a stick piece of branch whatever um and bring it back to me so they all came and he's he said you break yours sure enough he broke his told her you break yours she broke hers and everything and he said go back out and grab another branch they came back and he tied it up he said now try to break it 
Mm-hmm. Each one of them tried and were not successful. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of that was to say that when you band together, you cannot be strong together, right? Strong together. So I think in the Western world, right, when there's culture uh, and unity, uh, they don't like it. It's fear mm-hmm. because the stronger you are, the more you are, the more unified you are. Mm-hmm. And and locks are known to be uh, a form of rebellion. Of rebellion, right? <clears throat> and I'm not gonna lie, there was a part of me who had that. I don't give a damn. I'm growing my hair out. Who mm-hmm. wants? Who cares? Mm-hmm. So early on, it was like you know, just growing it out. And then when I got older, it was kind of like, who cares? I'm gonna take this journey. I'm gonna do it for me. And I don't care what anybody else. I don't care how anybody looks at me. But at the same time, there was still that, like you said earlier, the part that you absorbed. that part that absorbed, which is why I kept it clean. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very interesting because, like, um, on my own part, like my experiences are completely different from yours, but they're still very they're parallels to the whole mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So, being a female, you can't have long hair. So nobody's going to bother me for having long hair. At the same time, um, I still had a few blowbacks. My mom didn't want me to have my locks when I started for the same reasons, the fear, Western perception and all of these things. And I have been coming across new material recently in my life that kind of suggests to me how powerful it is for you to be influenced by society. And I feel that there's an opportunity through, there's an opportunity in speaking through the hair to be able to take back our culture take back that unity like see the similarities between us and to understand that we look at all of africa and we're all divided by um these borders that don't even represent us per se they're all like man-made construct so at what point do we wake up and realize that how can we change society's perception is what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say since, since you guys are men who have had you have that eritrean african background you grew up in america you've been here for most of your lives like do you think there's any chance are we going to go on like this for another 50 years do our kids have a chance to be able to wake up and say hey i want to do this hairstyle i'm not going to frown at it or appear in front of a george and be judged <laughs> well i feel like I mean, in, in all honesty, in all, all honesty, I, I think where we are now, right, being first generation removed, <clears throat> I can teach my son, I can be the bridge between what my parents were trying to teach me that I didn't understand, that I now understand, right, because of the language barrier and the cultural barrier. I can, now that I understand as, as an adult, I can explain that to my son because there's no language barrier. Like my parents to this day, you know, they, they still struggle with English. Like they can get their point across in English, but you know, it might not be the most well constructed sentence. You know yeah. what I mean? But I have that and I could explain to my son exactly what it is and I can instill that in him and he'll understand it a lot better uh, than I did as a young child. Right? So if I can wake my son up earlier right teach my son the ways have him understand at an earlier age and pass that on and let him know that hey you know like cause when i was young uh though i was african and, and i and i and i know they went through it um uh, being made fun of <laughs> though i was african 
I used to crack jokes. Really? But that was because I was young. Crack jokes on Africans? On Africans. You know what I mean? And, and I say, like, just silly things that just made entirely no sense. But I look back, I'm like, you know what? I was, I, I was a jerk. Like, no, seriously. Like, there are things that I said when I was younger that I, it's, I still hold it in my heart. And I wish to find that person to apologize and say, hey, you know, I don't know what I was you thinking. You bought into the I narrative. I, I bought into it. America yeah, sold so me a dream and I thought, you know, me, and it made entirely no sense. Let's think about it like this, right? And this is what we were having a conversation about earlier as far as like controlling the narrative, right? So if you have an issue with a group of people, best way to get everybody on your side is to demonize them. Anything that's their culture, make it seem as if that's bad. And like you said earlier, right? You said, okay, Kenyans, um, you know, Ethiopians, some Eritreans in that part of East Africa have hair. They're pockets and, and tribes that do that. And we can say we have these images that are actually posted up on walls wherever we go when it comes to like Eritrean events of guys with long hair and, and, and dreads and braids. So why is it that when we're here now, all of a sudden it's like, it's not part of our culture. And, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier, it's the fear. It's the fear of what that means to those who are controlling the narrative. I think until we take back that narrative and we, and we start to appreciate everything that makes us, us black people, Africans all over the world, we're gonna constantly have this issue. And what Mo was hinting at was the fact that now we're more educated on the ways of this world meaning being in America or being in any kind of Western world. And we don't have that same fear our parents had. And we bought into the, the narrative of what it means to be African where to the point where we're making fun of other Africans and we're Africans too, just because we were we grew up here in America. We wanted to sort of be accepted. So we did as they did. We treated people as such. And I think we're in a better position now that we're not buying into that narrative. And I think our parents try to get us to understand that, that you guys are African too. But we're like, no, we're American. Uh, I want to be a part of this. I want to do this. I want to go hang out with these, you know what I'm saying? A couple guys who might not have my best interest, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like I'm in a better place now. And I think what also needs to happen is confidence needs to be built amongst our people i don't think we understand what we have um especially those in africa because mm -hmm. uh, they're buying into the narrative too yeah, so whatever we, we touched, needs to be cool we, we touched on a subject before of why is it that you know those back home are looking at western countries to produce resources for them when all the resources are in Africa, right? So I think once the confidence is built in saying, you know, I can't do this by myself, I don't need anyone else, I think then, you know, there'll be some sort of realization and you'll notice uh, a rise in in African mentality, uh, mental health, uh, as well as resources and producing for one oneself and, and things of that nature. So I think it's, there's a disconnect 
I can connect to my father who could connect me to someone back mm-hmm. home. Yeah. There are a lot of people here who are 400 years removed from home. From home. Okay, so I want to actually speak to this point a little bit. So um, I always try to, I think the best way to see someone's perspective is kind of to put yourself in it. So I'm completely Nigerian, born and bred in Nigeria. However, my father is Yoruba and my mom is Delta. So these are two different tribes. Mm-hmm. On the Yoruba side, I'm always referred to as Omoibo, which means literally child of mm. another tribe. So in a way, even though I grew up in the Yoruba speaking part of, or the Yoruba part of, of Nigeria, I've always known that I'm a little bit different because my mom is from somewhere else. And to my surprise, I went for a funeral at my mom's place. I think I was a teenager or something. And I was kind of excited because the Yoruba people have always called me your child from somewhere else. And I went there and I was really excited to be at my mom's village. Um, I wanted to see the river that I've heard so many stories about. And um, I met some of the family members and I introduced myself who I was. And the first thing I was told was like, oh, you are the one from mm-hmm. <laughs> the other side. So it, it got me for a minute. I was like, so it feels like nobody wants me. Oh, trust <laughs> me. We can so, so yeah, I just want to kind Especially of understand. Are you yeah. are you African? Are you American? You're definitely not African American. Yeah, I think you kind of you kind of fall into this gray zone, right? Because I mean, from my experience, and I'm sure they share the similar experience. It's like when you're here, you're not quite American. Because they'll look at you and they say, mm, "You're not American." You know what I mean? So you you get kind of like that feeling, like, "All right, well, I'm not a hundred percent part of this." And then we all took our but trip I can back hang. home. Yeah, I can hang. Yeah, I can hang. <laughs> yes, I can. But you always felt, you knew you were different. You know what I mean? You knew you were African because they wouldn't let you forget it, especially in the beginning. They don't remember a lot of this, but like you say, the jokes. I was called Indian for a good <laughs> yeah, portion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. oh, you're Indian. Like, yeah. Oh, Indian. Like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so now imagine, right? So now we built up this whole idea, all right, fine. Cool, we're gonna go back home where we're gonna be accepted. Everybody here is telling us you're not from here, and we're like, all right, well, we know where, where we're from, so it'll be all love. Go over there, well, this is American. You ain't Erichin, you ain't Erichin, it's not something like that. They knew the word nigga out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you weren't quite American enough when you're here, and you aren't quite Erichin enough when you're over there, so you always kind of felt like at limbo. Um, now I spoke like I speak Tigrin, right? That's our native tongue. And here amongst my friends, I'm like, you know, like parents look at me like, "Wow, my son is your age and he can't, can't speak. he can't speak." So I'm looking at me like, you know, my confidence is up. I go back there and they're laughing at me. Like, say that again. Say that again. Hey, listen, 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 say it again. Like and now I'm like, wait, what did I say wrong? You know right. what I mean? Like back back in America in the states, I'm like. Right, right, and everybody's like, "Wow, you're good for being an American." Oh, kudos to you! Like, amazing. Yeah. You were born here. They, they, they're, they're shocked. Like, you were born here. I'm like, yeah, I was born here. Go back there. They're like, yo, you're, yeah. you're so broken. Like, you know, like. But, but I almost think that that gray area is like the the missing link, or is is the this opportunity. Is the opportunity. To and like, this is what yeah. he was saying: the fact yeah. that we grew up here and have assimilated here, and can actually express 
and, and, and spread a certain message, right? And knowing that we have a father who can connect us back there. We need to go back. So we are literally the bridge. Like, I can handle my own here. Mo can. Alex can. And we can handle our own back there. So we're literally that that, that generation yeah. that, can be, that can bridge the gap. Because we, we understand. Back. We understand how, why Eritreans are on this side and how they feel about being, uh, about black people or black America or, or black people in the diaspora. And how Americans or black people from here feel about black people in Africa. So the narrative to the Americans, Africans are over there, butt naked, spears, <laughs> spears climbing trees, Chasing right? Animals. Which is totally untrue. Yeah. You go over there, extent. they think all black people are gangsters, are thugs, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or basically whatever the media portrays, whether it be yeah. music, Propaganda. whether yeah. it be music videos, yeah. uh, movies, yeah, that's what they believe. So, and, funny yeah. story. First time I came to America, I booked an Airbnb in Queens, mm. in like the most Indian part of Queens. But <laughs> this is me from Africa. I have no idea what's going on. As far as I'm concerned, I am in America. Mm. Like it's one place, you know. There's Come no difference. So yeah, <laughs> and um, I'm on the balcony one day, and some dude walks up to me and kind of tries to let me know that I'm not supposed to be here sort mm. of like you know it's like oh so you know you're visiting from where i was like yeah i'm visiting from this and he kind of made me see and i saw it instantly like when he just told me oh yeah like this is like the indian part of queens and all of a sudden everybody around me <laughs> was indian and i was mm. like oh you, my god you began to realize but i felt safe then i go to brooklyn to see brooklyn to see a friend and it got dark and I was trying to get myself back to the subway and I just saw some black kids hanging on the side of a building doing stuff and I instantly was afraid because everything I have seen as mm-hmm. an African yep. about black people standing on the corner of a block is that yeah. they have a gun, they're selling drugs and they're mm. going to kill you. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of, in that moment, I realized, oh my God, You're buying into how can I actually even feel safe? Safer amongst people who don't look like me and feel afraid of people. That's the 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 intent. So the intent is to disconnect, like you were saying, divide. It's to disconnect people from their culture, right? So imagine 400 years disconnected, right? You can't, you probably can't imagine that because you were born and bred Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. Yeah. You know? I have a father that can say, hey, this is where I'm from. Go here. When you go there, go say hi to your uncle. Go say hi to your aunt. Go say hi to your cousins. Go visit this. Go visit that. I can direct you from over the phone and say, hey, you know, go here, go there. My friend who is African-American cannot go back home. They don't even call it back home. Yeah. This is their home. This is home. You tell them you're African, they're like, yeah yeah but i think as black people the one thing that we share is actually the kink in our hair and as ridiculous as and trivial like the conversation um is i personally feel like i've learned a lot i said my hair just because i wanted something else convenient but even though yes i have been associated as somebody who smokes marijuana indulges with all sorts 
but I've learned how to commit to something and stick with mm. it. I've learned how to watch something grow yes. from like being tiny, being looking unkept according to standards, sticking with it, going through it, watching it grow, and all of that process. And I, I don't know if you guys agree with me. I feel Definitely. like it's part of us. We can all identify with it. Mm. You wake up with it every day. I'm amused by how many African women in Nigeria who I meet who have no idea what the texture of their hair is because they've all they're used to doing something else or they might now know the texture of their hair. The natural hair movement has been good, but you can take care of a weave better than you can take care of your own hair. Mm. And I almost feel like just sticking to what you were saying more is we can't see what's right in front of us. All the resources are right there. And I feel like somehow, true, maybe our hair, we have the solution to world peace. Ah, I can see that. <laughs> I can definitely see that. Well, Listen, that's that's outside of our skin color, you know. That is the next best like is, representation of who we are. Everybody, everyone can say they they had a comb once in their hair. Oh, ran yeah. in their hand, ran through their hair, and it got stuck. You know, they're. Mm-hmm. they're we can all say that, and we can all tell tell tales about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? I remember my father did this. I remember my mom was trying to do this. We all have our story, mm-hmm. and yeah. we all can sit at the round table and relate to that and, and laugh. And it connects us all and laugh, mm-hmm. which I I totally agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah, I think this has been a very interesting conversation so far. Yes, and I think yeah. we've touched on a lot of interesting, serious issues which I'm always happy to talk about because sometimes I feel like delusional about this thing that I'm trying to talk about and hey, what's the big deal? It's just hair on your head. No, Everybody it has it. So it's really interesting. Ben, are you still there with us? Oh, no, I'm here. I'm oh. listening very carefully. I'm yeah, so enjoying the conversation very so, much. So um, we're going to be wrapping up very shortly and I think I'd like to hear from each and every one of you um, Alex and Ben, you don't have to tell us about what kind of girl you're looking for on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> you can just give me that information, I'll pass it on but um, Ben, do you have any like last words for anybody out there who's considering locks as a choice hairstyle and trying to incorporate it into their lifestyle from a religious perspective uh, from from I wouldn't say from a religious perspective, but I would say from just a man to man or woman to woman or just just from an overall perspective about what it is to you. Like, what does it mean to you as far as trying to get hair, dreads, locks? You know, your family is involved. You got to look out for what your mom's thinking about it, your dad's thinking about it. They're going to come at you and say, hey, what's the deal with this? And you have to be ready to answer that. And, and for me, I was never ready to answer it. I didn't know the words. And it was youth. You know, it's, it's the youth. They, they, they go through things that parents just don't understand. There's raps about that. There's songs about that. It's a real thing. Like, but, but but at the same time, they do understand. <laughs> They've been in that position. They, they do understand. So, so for me, the best thing I can say is that actually, your parents... Your family, your friends, those who are looking in and seeing you go through what you're going to go through when you decide to do what you're going to do, whether it's hair, any form of rebellion, but we bring it back to hair. It doesn't have to be rebellion, but in general, when you go into your states from a youth, for 
perspective it's not just about you and your world and for me I had turned it into just my world and it's not just that so so I can't tell somebody what to do mm-hmm. but I, I you know what I mean you're gonna do it anyway everyone's an individual who's gonna decide to do what they're gonna do and the repercussions are just know that other people are expecting an explanation for what you're going through and air doesn't have to become that it's it's bigger than threads, it's bigger than locks, but but that is an outpouring or expression of what your current state is. Some people do it for fashion, I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. but I honestly really think it's it's a form of trying to change shit up, switch things up and make it about yourself and go through what you're going through, but know that people are expecting an explanation for you. So when you do get locks, which seems like it's such a simple thing to do. I'm just going to change my hair up. I mean, well, you know, it could be man, woman, or whatever. But people are watching constantly and wondering, asking, and thinking. And people judge in ways that they shouldn't sometimes. So you got to be aware of that. Like, whatever you do, do it because you've done the proper research and studies on why it means what it means to you. It could be cultural, it could be religious, it could be this, it could be fashion, it could be a lot of different things. But really know why you're doing it. It has to make sense to you and be able to portray what it, how it makes sense. How, be able to portray through words what it means to you. Because I couldn't do that growing up. I was just off some, like, it's just about me. I don't care what everybody else is thinking. This is what I want to do. And it looks simple because it's fashion. It's how it is at times. But it, it comes with a lot of explanation. And be prepared to explain. That's what all, all I'm saying. Be prepared to explain why. It doesn't have to just be dreads, it can be anything, any type of hairstyle, any type of anything, period. It's all it's all connected. And I can see how this topic can can stretch into, as we've heard so far, into any different, different so multiple levels of different topics. Mm-hmm. It branches into a lot of stuff. So it's an interesting icebreaker conversation starter. And it turns into a lot of stuff, and that's the beauty of it. And I understand why y'all decided to do what y'all doing. And I'm happy to be part of the show, podcast. I see the thinking behind it, the brilliance. And I'm very fortunate to be able to be. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm going to talk about <laughs> Your words are really kind. Um, yeah. Mom, I'm going to go over to you now. Would you ever go in your locks again? Um, if my scalp could withstand, uh, you're not going bald, are you? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm going bald, <laughs> but I just think this time around, I, I, I don't think uh, it would be conducive to uh, me Maintain. keeping my hair. Yeah, I think I'm at an age where it's possible that I, I might, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I mean, here's what I, here's what I say. If I ever get to a point where, um, or when I get to a point where I'm completely established, my kids are grown and everything else like that, and I know there's going to be a point where I'm going to be stuck in my ways and can't nobody tell me nothing. As an old man, though, you know, as an older man, um, at that point, it's, I'm just going to wake up, put water in my hair, and that's that. Mm-hmm. And whatever happens from there, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. I was going to go with 
we'll say, but let me go to Alex. Since we started with Alex, I'm just going to give you the honors of being the first shall be the last. <laughs> um, so Alex, I would like you to teach me how to say buy in to to get Tig. It's like T-I-G. Tig. Tig. Rin. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Tig Rin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you teach me how to say that? Tig Rin. Okay, well, there's multiple ways you can say it. One of them is um, the Han Hederu. Oh, the easy one, please. The Han. The Han. Hederu. Ru. The Han. The Hair. The Han. Hederu. Okay, the Han. Okay, all right, thank you very much. That's how we're going to be ending the podcast. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm gonna say, um, so I would say to you if you did decide to have locks and your partner today in the future didn't want them, would that be a problem for you? Secret question, (laughs) I'll put it like this, right. If my convictions were strong enough and the reasons for me having dreads were strong enough, then I would just go based on my feelings. If the reason was important enough for me, and she would have to understand that. Because if it was something that was sim- simply just an opinion or a dislike, then it really doesn't give me much to consider. But if she gave me good reasons as to why, and if it were perhaps hindering like us as a unit, then I would consider not having it. But no, I, I don't think I would have let even my partner's um, opinion of it, if it were important enough to me, to uh, dissuade me from getting dreads. Okay. Um, thank you so much, guys. I think we've learned a lot in this conversation. I have, I have, I have been uh, fortunate to have the Isaac clan on the show. And... Um, Believe it or not, they are like four very handsome brothers. Only two are available. I'll say that again. But I think um, the most important thing is this series is almost coming to an end. But we have found a way to genuinely kind of carry on the same conversation from different perspectives. And I'm very happy to have had both an African perspective and an American perspective on the issue. We've learned that perception is everything and the reason why it's still found upon its perception. However, the world is evolving yes. and things are we're becoming more integrated as a culture. We're all speaking the same language right now, for instance, even though we're from very different parts of, of Africa and our native tongue is is so different. But right that that division has given us another kind of unity that we need to hold on to and that we've realized our hair is part of that solution. So maybe I'll be doing a paper thesis or something to say, hey, hair is the solution to all the world's <laughs> problems. And um, it's been very interesting to learn about you guys, your family, your religion. And um, I'm really just excited. I do hope that somebody out there has learned something from this conversation. We've gone well over an hour. This is possibly the longest podcast we've had, but that's fine. We four guests on, so I think we managed the time perfectly well and with that i would say thank you so so much it was such a pleasure having the isaac clan on i'm very glad you guys did this with me awesome thank you so much for having us the pleasure was definitely ours yeah so to everyone out there dan ha if you don't know what it means just click rewind
what a fantastic episode i'm so proud of how we were able to manage time considering we had four guests at the same time on the show well the isaac brothers all agree that there's so much to unpack when it comes to being of african heritage and our hair is a good place to start i wish we had more time on the podcast today but in the absence of time i encourage you to keep the conversation going in your personal spaces and at your own time the last episode of this season will be aired shortly. I am honestly having a very hard time trying to decide who gets episode 12. So I guess it's going to be a case of waiting to see. There will be a bonus episode, episode 13, where our producer and I, um, Savage Media, will review the season's episodes, your feedback so far, and if it has all been worth it. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Talking Locks podcast with Lockity. It has been such a pleasure being your host. My name again is Adi Balogun and thanks to our producer, Savage Media. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Lockitude, L-O-C-I-T-U-D-E and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And for more interesting podcast episodes on Everyday People with Locks, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We are currently on Google, Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify podcast. You can also find us on YouTube. And don't forget to keep it locked with an attitude. Bye.